You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we are about to do our October month. Well, Sarah gets the first one. Matt gets the rest because he's lazy, he's horrible, and he's like apparently in New York. But who cares about him? Oh, it's so sad that Matt has a life. Yeah, I know. What a dork. Yeah. Pfft, nerd. Yeah. Well, he doesn't get the first one here in our October month, and we're doing something a little bit different. We're not doing scary movies. Something no. special. A little special. We're doing... Tober, And the first one is, what do we have? We have True Romance, a Tony Scott film. From the director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Hello, baby! Clarence? I'm a married man, buddy. <laughs> a con man. Ask him if you got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? He wants to talk to you. No time, Tom. We gotta go. A call girl. You call for a day? Huh? Ah! I'm out of here. She a four-alarm fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing in L.A. anyway, huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams find out who this wing and a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Our 60 cops. 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think what you did, I think what you did was so romantic. Not since Barney and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. True romance. There's our trailer. Boom, boom, bang, bang. I, I love these 90s films, the whole uh, ensemble cast, and especially when they got into the 90s. Like, well, I guess the end of the 80s had the whole buddy cop thing into the little bit of the 90s. And then we got a lot of like drop, true crime kind of drama, fantasy. I, I don't know, because you. We had, you know, Pump Fiction and, exactly. and True Moment. Basically, the entire 90s was only Tarantino films. It's funny that you say that I wasn't allowed to watch Tarantino films in the 90s. So, this month is my has been my first exposure to many of these films, um, except for Pulp Fiction. I did get to watch that when I was, I believe, a sophomore in high school. 
Ooh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the greatest films of the 90s, period. So. Yeah. yeah, well, I didn't get to watch it at home, though, because I wasn't allowed. Yeah, you had to watch only Disney films? That or, yeah, pretty much just Disney films. <laughs> yeah, this also kicks off our kind of like announcement of our Halloween party. We always do a Halloween party each year. This will be the third annual. Third annual, yes. We, we matched it with the podcast. And now we've just turned it into, you know, our Halloween party. So it's like a mixture. And uh, last year we did Stephen King films. Yep, that was fun. We still have some of those decorations up in our apartment. Where? No, At the don't. bathroom. We still have the, the room number in the bathroom. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, the psycho room number. Or not psycho room number. Uh, the uh, shining room number. Yep. Um, yeah, that's yeah that never came down i forgot about that (laughs) uh yeah so this year if you come to our party and you're dressed as a tarantino character uh whatever he did the movies he wrote or movies he were in or directed we don't really care uh we've got prizes you know for best one most authentic we've also got one a prize a special prize that i picked out for laziest costume yes 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 last year we had some great contenders and this year we're excited to see yeah. What people come up with. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, you, you always get like characters like last year with Stephen King. There were characters where I was, they came in and I'm like, oh my God, someone came in as the diner cook um, from not trucks, but uh, Maximum Overdrive. Pretty sure he won, right? Did yeah, he Paul. not win? Paul? Paul. Yeah. yeah. Paul came in. At, I forget the character's name from it, but Emilio Estevez, he comes in. He had, he had the, the grease stains and everything. That one most authentic most authentic. It's a pretty have, cool party. Uh, yeah, most creative. So, yeah, it's always great. And last year, someone's going to have to beat Chase. Chase had the dome. He took, what did he take? A strainer or something? Some kind of bowl. He put it over his head with like a bunch of, I don't know, like Hot Wheels cars or whatever. Yep. And he's like, I'm the dome. Like, yep, that's the laziest. Yep. He was a good participator. It's going to be a tough one to beat, but someone, hopefully Chase comes this year. Maybe he can redo his lazy costume. Oh, yeah. Not that one, but, you know, like find another one. I'm sure he will. (laughs) I bet, yes. But, uh, yeah, so let's start off talking about True Romance. Now, this is a story or a script from Quentin Tarantino. He didn't direct this one. This is Tony Scott's film. Right, and I loved this film unexpectedly yeah it was yeah as soon as it ended you're like wow i love that there was just so much charmingness about it as much rawness and weirdness and uncomfortableness it was there was a lot of charming in it yeah it is raw that that especially is like every character just has their emotions worn on their sleeve Exactly. I mean, you have um, Alabama, which is, what is it, Arquette? Patricia What's her first name? Arquette. Yeah, Patricia Arquette. She's, uh, you know, like always giggling, even in like yes. really uncomfortable situations. I think every beginning and ending of every sentence was a giggle for her. Yeah. And I noticed that at first, and I thought it was a bit annoying. And then I just kind of grew to love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, she sticks very firm to that characteristic really well and then you have christian slater's uh, character clarence clarence is is interesting because he has such um his character changed so much throughout the film as he goes from like a nerdy well he had some confidence but he was nerdy at the beginning and and he certainly wasn't the badass he turns into i honestly i don't 
actually think he changes all that much. I think he pretty much sticks to his character the whole time. He murders someone and then just becomes like over the top. At the very beginning, he was... Well, he did ask out that one girl at the bar. Yeah, I would say he's always been confident. I just think as he has more worldly possessions, he becomes even more confident, which gives him the ability to act a little bit different. But I think his character holds throughout the whole. I don't see him transition from one character to a bigger, badder character. I think he's the same guy the whole time. Well, maybe he always had it inside of him and... Alabama helped and, you know, killing someone helped turn him into like the bigger than life character that was always in his head. Yeah. But I mean, let's talk about him having a character in his head. Now, (laughs) this part was really weird to me. And I actually had to rewatch the part where he has a inner voice that is. It's Elvis. Elvis Presley. Even though it's credited as mentor. Well, can you live with it? What? I said, can you live with it? Live with what? That son of a bitch walking around breathing the same air as you. Getting away with it every day. Are you haunted? Yeah. You want to get on the haunted? Yeah. Well, I'd kill him. Shoot him in the face. It's clearly, I I mean, he loves, one of the characteristics of Clarence throughout this entire film is he loves Elvis. He loves Elvis, but this is not your typical Elvis. This is like killer thrasher Elvis. Badass Elvis. Well, I don't know if it was badass, but he was putting badass thoughts into Clarence's head. It's all in Clarence's head. This is what I'm saying. Like, But he creates, you know, an Elvis mentor to get him to go kill a pimp. And then sell coke and go live, you know, in Mexico. But that's like a mental problem waiting to happen. I mean, the beginning credits is Clarence being talking to Elvis, who's Elvis is trying to kill him. I mean, this whoa, that whoa, like whoa, sets, wait, wait, wait. oh, El, he's trying. Elvis is trying to tell him to kill. Yeah, but that's not the beginning. The drug lord. It's not the beginning. No, the beginning is is just Clarence at a bar asking out the I don't know some girl at the bar where he's just like. Do you want to go see, uh, you know, a kung fu movie with me? And she's like, "You're asking me out to see a kung fu movie." Oh, and he goes, yes. "No, I'm asking you out to see three. You want to take me to a kung fu movie? Three kung fu movies. I don't think so. Not really my cup of tea. Yes, and she rejected him quite fast. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's get into the actual VHS cover on this. Do you remember this as a kid at all in the video store? I feel like I have seen this cover before, but no. Again, I would not have been allowed to see this movie in 1993. Yeah, it came out September 93. The video probably came out, I don't know, somewhere in the winter or spring of 94. Yeah, because it first of all, it has um, Christian Slater standing there holding a gun. Obviously, trying to shoot somebody. That's already a big no-no for the Forsman household. Yeah, for the Stephen house, or the Bay household, it was just like, well, whatever. We let them watch anything anyway. Yeah, I wasn't allowed, but... Except a few things, which made no sense. But I think that if I saw this today, I would definitely rent it. 
Now, see, I, I just, to me, one of the problems with this, is, like, it's a really generic cover. It's just them coming out of a doorway and Christian Slater has a gun. Yeah, but she, Patricia Arquette, looks a crazy. Yeah, I well, see, I've never really been attracted to her. So a 13-year-old Steve would have been like, meh. You didn't think she was attractive this time? No, I really don't. I never got into, she's just not my, I don't know. I think that she was most attractive when she had sunglasses on. No, she's got a cute look in this and everything. I, I just think like the whole giggling, it kind of, like there's something, I don't know, just not a, but she's a great actress. Oh, yeah. Everything she's in, she gives it her all. I mean, I think yeah. she's won an Oscar now, so. I think she was she, the star of the movie. I think she is in the ensemble cast. Yeah. I think Christian Slater does a good job, but he doesn't shine. The, yeah. The cast, the ensemble cast in this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's basically the entire 90s threw up on it. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I thought Christian Slater was fine. Like his character was fine. But it was actually all the characters around him that were just like awesome. The good and the bad characters. But Clarence, to me, Mm. honestly, seemed like just a kid I probably would have gone to school with back in 1995. Yeah, that was in the comic books. Yeah. His character, the beginning of his character is so simple. He works at a comic book shop. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He doesn't even see his dad. I think his mom's passed away. Right. He's alone. It's a lonely life. Yeah. And I think he goes to these movies to forget. And he goes, his birthday, he goes and sees a movie every day on his birthday. But I think he also sees like movies once a week too. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely into movies. They really played him up as the nerdy comic book Elvis loving, you know, kid and yeah i mean he's not gay but if he had to fuck a dude he'd fuck elvis <laughs> yeah i agree <laughs> i agree i love that i love the courage to start your movie off with just that kind of weird joke <laughs> yeah so let's get into it go ahead uh you already described the front read the description on the back yeah true romance is the story of two unlikely lovers Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, whose whirlwind romance propels them into the dangerous game of high-stakes negotiations and high-speed adventure. The pair find themselves in unexpected possession of a suitcase full of valuable mob contraband, which they plan to take from Detroit to Los Angeles. There, they plan to sell the goods and begin a new life, but the gangsters and the police have other ideas. Yeah, suitcase full of coke. Yeah, but... A lot of coke. A lot of coke, like... Uncut cocaine, like, you know, like the amount Joel Silver would purchase. Joel (laughs) Silver. I feel like you did the same thing in the last podcast I was in. Because Joel Silver and Tony Scott have worked together, and we've actually talked about... Matt and I have talked about the movie, which is The Last Boy Scout. Ah, uh, okay. But last time he must have been in the movie that we also watched yes. together last no, time. No, or I, I just kind of like to throw Joel Silver into everything. Um, oh, yeah, you're right. He was the producer on, um, wow, it's been such a long time since we did a, a cluster of movies. I can't even remember. Like, my brain just... It was like your um, favorite movie. I know. My brain hurts. It's gone. It's melted after watching all these characters act their ass off in True Romance. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, the reason that I think that she was the star of the show is for a little, a whole bunch of like tiny little things that happened throughout the show. Like her fight with James Gandolfini. Yeah, that. But also, if you notice throughout the movie, like as soon as they meet and they decide that they're going to be in love, he completely and utterly trusts her with everything. Yeah, they just fall madly in love together. I mean, it's lust. It's- but but it like it matures quickly. At first, I was like, oh, this is just two idiots making a rash decision. Exactly. But then when the way she was talking to uh, Clarence, like when she met his father, you know, she's doing all these little quirky things. And you kind of like so quickly you start to buy in to their love. Yeah. And he but another thing that I noticed and it was one of the scenes where um they were selling the well, they were trying to exchange the drugs and they had exchanged the drugs for money and they threw the money at her or they said, do you want to give her the money? And and the Christian Slater character, Clarence, was like, yeah, give her the money. Like he 100 percent trusted her from the beginning and i think that's why her character was like the badass of the movie because she became like the trusted advisor to clarence yeah she was definitely a badass throughout the film so was clarence like they just but is it also clarence you just shook your head at clarence being a badass too i didn't i thought his character was so lesser compared to all the other characters into a Din with a pimp and drug dealers. A pimp that, I mean, Clarence doesn't know, that just slaughtered two guys in a couple scenes beforehand. Gets into a fight, throws him into a fish tank, kills two dudes in that, takes a bag full of coke, which he didn't know it was coke at the time. No, he didn't. And then goes on that adventure. She goes with him and then kills a gigantic James Gandolfini. I'll be honest. I think they're both equal badasses. I don't know because the whole time that she was getting the shit beat out of her, she was giggling, she was laughing, and she survived. She didn't even lose a tooth. Her teeth were still all in perfect shape after that. Didn't you make that comment during the movie? Yes. You're like, how did she not lose a tooth? Yes. She has those like kind of janky front teeth and not a single one of them fell out. Yeah, she would probably have lost a tooth. Yeah. She, I mean, that man, James Gaudafini, like, um, is it Gattle? Godolphin, Godolphin, whatever. It's Tony Soprano. First, it was weird seeing him younger. I thought so too. Yeah, and but I, I, I always also, forget he's in this film. I just kept playing him up as this like old fat guy. Yeah, he was. I'm not gonna say you know in fantastic shape, but he was thinner. He was cute. I would say he's cute. He was cute. I actually thought he was a cute, like an attractive man well, in this a, part. He's. We can both agree. He's a giant compared to her. Oh, yeah. But I think he's just a giant in real life. He, he looks like he's, what, 6'4"? He looks huge. Oh, yeah. Either that or they just make him look so huge by, like, his characters and his clothing. And he's so disconnected, too, with the... So he has a great little scene. There are three, in my opinion, iconic scenes in this film. And this is one of them. And this is more in the middle, middle-ish end where he walks into the hotel room when she's in there. Clarence just left to go get lunch or something, some burgers. Yeah. And he, he comes in there, 
and he, he just starts smacking her around because she won't tell him. I mean, punching him. Or he's punching her, smacking her, throwing her around. He's like, tell me where the Coke is. She won't give him any information. <laughs> so he's sitting, and then he starts to tell this story about the first one's your hardest. First one is tough. No fucking fool. The second one. The second one ain't no fucking money right here, but it's better than the first one because you still feel the same thing, you know? Except it's more diluted, you know, it's, it's it's better. I drew up on the first one, you believe that? <sighs> and the third one. The third one is easy, you level right off. That's no problem. Now, shit. Now I do it just to watch the fucking expression change. Oh. It's the first one. The second one's a little bit better, but still really hard. The third one, at that point, you're just doing things. You know, you, you just, you're numb. And he goes, at this point, I'm just killing people now to see a, cha- uh, just to see a reaction. And he's so disconnected from what all of us, you know, normal everyday people. I mean, we can think about murder all we want or we can watch it. But actually performing the act is something that is just, like, you get to it and you, you couldn't do it. This guy's done it so much that he just, like, throws a side comment now. I just do it to see a reaction. And you're like damn yeah but there were a lot of i mean i would say that he's one of many characters that it was so uncomfortably awesome yeah to watch how odd and iconic they were throughout their characters yeah i I mean i've watched a lot of action films sci-fi films and horror films where you know the the violence is is ramped up really high but you kind of get desensitized to it for some reason in this movie, the violence is so brutal and personal. Not to take it away from the violence, but I really liked the facial expressions of everybody. I have several different moments in the movie where I thought that just watching the character's face was the most amazing part of the scene. And one of those scenes was when um, Christopher Walken meets up with the dad. And the dad is telling the story about uh, Sicilians being a mixed race. And if you just watch Chris Walken's face, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. He's an amazing actor anyway. But, like, you can just see, like, his eyes lighting up, but then his face being doubtful, and it was it was amazing. The scene gets flipped on him because he comes in as the source of power. He sits his dad down, and he's telling him, you know, he's like, you know, try to be sincere with your answers. Don't get repetitive. Tell me the truth. You know, he's incredibly intimidating without saying anything intimidating. He never said, we're going to beat you. We're going to cut you. We're going to torture you. He just sits him down and you know. His confidence leaps off him. And he barely has any emotion. And then his dad, Dennis Hopper, right when he gets a chance, he kicks off one of the greatest monologues. And it's, at the same time, insanely offensive. Yeah. And incredibly effective. 
Now this, <laughs> no, I, no, I'm quoting. <laughs> History, it's written. It's a fact, it's written. I know this guy. No, <laughs> no. guy. No. <laughs> no. Your ancestors are niggers. Uh -huh. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. And, and your great, 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 great grandmother fucked a nigger. Oh, yeah. And she had a half nigger kid. Now, if that's a fact, tell me, am I lying? He's looking at these Sicilians, these tough, macho Italians, which have, he knows, his character, being a cop, probably knows they can't stand to be affiliated with a certain minority. And that certain minority, you know, black Americans, and it's, it's so uncomfortably offensive, but you're captivated at every moment of this. And it doesn't... And offended. Yeah. Like, at every moment. <laughs> but that's the point. Yeah. It was very, very uncomfortable to watch, but it was also all great scene. It's one of my favorite monologues I have ever seen. And the thing is, like, when you say that, some people are like, ooh, that's, I mean, that's pretty offensive. And you're like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah, I'm not sure if I think it's one of, I mean, I don't have a favorite monologue, but what I liked watching throughout was yeah. just his, uh, Chris Walken's face and the way that yeah, he responded it, with it, like a little smirk and then a little bit of pissiness and then just, well, like, you couldn't really tell. He's the toughest man on the block in a way. And in a one point when he has to, you know, he's like, he gets, he pisses off. Christopher uh, Walken's character so much that he actually murders him. And, and then he says, he's like, I haven't killed anyone since 1984. Right. Because he hasn't had to. He's had right. all of his, he's so, People. he's so far up in the ranks that like now he takes himself down a couple pegs to become, you know, a killer again because he is so offended, but he's also so impressed. You can tell where he's laughing. He goes, this, this fucking guy. Look at this guy did. Yeah. He's like, you kill me. And he's always going to remember that man, even though he fucking hates him. Yeah. So was that one of your one of your three favorite scenes? Yes. So that was... The, th the first one, I know both of us. Because well, just... the, the, the first one, I love to hear the shock when you're like, what? First, they show Gary Oldman as a white guy who thinks he's black in dreadlocks as a pimp slash drug dealer. He's so good. I've never, I have only ever seen Gary Oldman as like a detective or a character that's more um, polished. I guess I've probably only seen like his more recent stuff. And this is fucked up. <laughs> this character is so fucked up and awesome. He transforms into this guy. And, and this is so funny because Tony Scott, um, when he called Gary Oldman, he's like, I, I really want you to be in this film. Uh, and he sold it talking to him before he got into an elevator, apparently. He's just like, yeah, he's a drug dealer slash pimp who thinks he's black, but he's actually white and he has dreadlocks. And Gary Oldman goes, oh, that character sounds great. I'm in. That's it. 
And, and he just, he hung up. He's like, I got to go. Uh, I'll have my people call your people and we'll get you on. He goes, it's only, you know, it's only a couple days shoot. And that was it. Gary Oldman came in. They put the makeup on him, all the stuff they did. And like people on set, like Christian Slater, uh, the shock he has, like where he uh, takes his sunglasses off and he looks at him. The reason Christian Slater has that look is because that is literally the first time he is seeing Gary Oldman. And he is in his boxer shorts in like some kind of leopard print robe. And he's like, and they kept that shot specifically because Tony Scott, the editor and everything is like, his face is so genuine because it is really happening to him. It was so, and and Gary Oldman's character is wild. Yeah, he's an animal. He's what? He's an animal. He's an animal, but literally like there are, they obviously had him jumping off of platforms at people during the fight scene or fighting part of this scene because it was like watching, you know, the Muppet Babies or like the Muppets, not even the Muppet Babies, but watching like Animal uh, run into the room like, like that's how I would compare that character to something else I've seen. It was wild. And by the way, he does the exact same thing. Um, Clarence comes in and there's a movie with some, you know, it's got boobies on the screen and he's got all these Chinese, it's got all this Chinese food on it. And so he comes in and Drexel's, you know, an animal. He's literally got like leopard print on. This is hilarious. Uh, And it's so 90s. That room, everything, 90s. I almost thought, 70s because that well, hanging light yeah thing well i mean the definitely... 70s and the 90s had the yeah you know kind of it's funny because we have another movie that tarantino did that is very 90s that also has a 70s vibe to it i'm not gonna say it though because that's next week and it's got to be a surprise so he comes in he, he's looking at him he's got boobies on the screen he's got the, the chinese food below, boobies and gary and drexel's you know like have an egg roll because they're about to no negotiate because he comes in and he's like, I want to talk about Alabama. And he puts an envelope down on the table. He's like, this is what I think, you know, I owe you. She's my wife now. Yada, yada. And whatever. And when he says, his boobies on the screen and you don't want an egg roll. I know who you are. I, and you've been clocking me the minute you came in. Like He's like, I've showed you nothing. You've showed me everything. And then Christian Slater Clarence immediately flips it just like his dad did in scenes later on. Where he goes, ah, yeah. He goes, no. The reason I'm not eating egg rolls is because I'm not hungry. The reason I'm not looking at this movie is because I've already seen it seven years ago. And then he lists who's in it. And then he goes, and third, the reason I don't want to sit down and talk to you is because I don't like you. Let's see. We're sitting down here, ready to negotiate. <laughs> You've already given up your shit. I'm still a mystery to you. But I know exactly where your white ass is coming from. See if I ask if you want some dinner, and you grab the egg roll and start a try down, I said to myself, this motherfucker, he's carrying on like he ain't got a care in the world, and who knows? Maybe he don't. Maybe this fool's such a bad motherfucker. He don't got to worry about nothing. He just sit down, watch my motherfucking TV. See? <laughs> you ain't even sat down yet. And that TV over there, since you've been in the room, is a woman with her breasts is hanging out. You ain't even bothered to look. You've just been clacking me. I know I'm pretty. But I ain't as pretty as a couple of titties. 
<laughs> Ooh wee! This shop feels. <laughs> I'm not eating because I'm not hungry. I'm not sitting because I'm not staying. I ain't looking at the movie because I already seen it seven years ago. It's the Mac. Max Julian, Carol Speed, and Richard Pryor. I ain't scared of you. I just don't like you. <laughs> and he goes, here's an envelope with the money I think I owe you. You know, I want Alabama stuff. And then Gary Oldman's oh, character, Drexel, opens up the envelope. Sad. There's nothing in it. And he leaps like an animal at him. Like, literally. It's nuts. It's so good. It's oh, the, those three iconic scenes. I just... Well, and then maybe at the fourth at the end, I, or, but I don't know. Before you say your fourth iconic scene, my favorite scene was the very, I think it was very close to the end when they're all coming. The cops are on one side. The drug dealers are on the other side. I thought that scene was fabulous. Yeah, where everyone's pointing guns at each other. I thought it was, like, that was the moment in the movie. That wasn't the only moment in the movie, but I didn't expect to like this movie at all. And that was towards the end, and that was, like, one of the movie, one of the scenes that, like, made me think, yeah, I like this movie because it's smart. Yeah, Tarantino's... It is so smart. Tarantino's dialogue is incredible. It's smart because... But not only that, like everybody's shooting at each other, everybody's shooting at each other, and then there's all these like white feathers that are like (laughs) flowing at the same time. And so it's like this magical white feathers and people are dying, but like uh, it was just, to me, it just was amazing. That's what you get when you have such an incredible writer like Quentin Tarantino with his dialogue, such a fantastic director with Tony Scott, how he puts together a film. And then you have Jeffrey Kimball, who's worked with Tony Scott, I believe, on Top Gun and uh, the other... No, Beverly Hills Cop 2, he did that one too. And I think he did the other Tom Cruise... What is it? Where he's a race car driver? I just forgot. Whatever. Risky business? No, it's where he's... (laughs) No. I don't know. I just came up with that. He's a race car driver. Tony Scott directed it. I just forgot it. But anyway, uh, he b- had a fantastic eye, uh, and he's he's done a lot of 80s, 90s movies that almost everyone has seen, you know, from Top Gun to Beverly Hills Cop 2 to True Romance. This movie came back into the limelight when Margaret Robbie... Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie was talking, I think, at a press conference, and she said, like, uh, True Romance was her favorite Quentin Tarantino film or written film or whatever she said with it. I can't quite remember. It's true or false. Floyd from True Romance, the greatest stoner character of all time. Absolutely true. Really? Thank you. Absolutely Thank you. true. 1,000%. Get cleaning products. Been- hey, get some, some beer and some, some cleaning products. Get cleaning products. Because there's been some good ones. Condescend me, motherfucker. Condescend me, man. Fucking kill you, man. Condescend me, motherfucker. Written by Quentin Tarantino. Of course. My favorite movie of all time. 
True Romance? Mm -hmm. Great Tony really? Scott. I walked down the aisle to the True Romance music. Come on. What? Oh, that's good. <laughs> I remember hearing more and more about this film. So hopefully this gets back into the scene now where more people go back and watch it because this movie did really bad in the box office. You're kidding. Yeah. I love this movie. It was just one of those movies that was, you know, critically loved and everyone who saw it loved it, but it spent about $12 million on a budget and only made about $12 million in September 1993, I, I believe it came out. And it's really funny. One of the movies that really sank this was Hard Target. I've never even heard of that Jean movie. With Jean-Claude Van Damme. Well, anyone oh. who listens to this show will, will know what I'm talking about. All the guys out there. But I'm not your typical audience. <laughs> but, I mean, that movie made like $40 million or something like that. And it kind of was hitting the same audience as this. So, that that sucks. That's bad luck. Yeah. And, and I, you know what? When I look at this movie, like with the poster and everything, I just don't really think it sticks out enough. It just looks like... Uh, well, well, like a cheaper version of, I'm not going to say Delma and Louise. I think I'm just saying that because they both have Brad Pitt in it, but in smaller roles. But I, I just don't know. I just don't think this stuck out. Well, here's here's what I thought. You know, like I said, in 1993, I didn't know anything about this movie. But when you told me that Quentin Tarantino had a movie named True Love or True Romance, I was like, awesome. I'm going to go see that movie because, oh, it's a romance. So I'm wondering if maybe, like, in 1993, the title True Romance really didn't hit, you know, the the audience of what of who would typically go to a Tarantino movie because it's about romance. Like, putting mm. True Romance in the title of a movie is going to yeah. knock some people right out of it. Plus, Tarantino didn't have the name at this point. No. I mean, he directed Reservoir Dogs. I mean, later in a couple years, you're going to have Natural Born Killers come out that he wrote the story for, and then Oliver Stone directed. But then Pulp Fiction hit, I think, 90, 94, 95. I can't quite remember. Uh, 94. Yeah, because it's going to be the 25-year anniversary coming up. Uh, right, Almost soon, October. Somewhere in October, I believe, 1994. So you have that. And Pulp Fiction is probably you know one of the movies at the top of the mountain of the 90s you know you've got your titanics but not there's a lot of people i'm sure who listen to this podcast or you know that type of like 30 something year old male they're probably not like oh titanic, who gives a shit you know but but it was and pump fiction is right there below it or yeah. maybe above it depending it, i mean it's all subjective but right i would agree and that's when quentin tarantino after that point it didn't matter. I mean, that's the only the only movie I knew of his, to be honest, until you took me to the uh, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. When you took me to that, that was probably the second Quentin Tarantino movie that I had ever seen. Yeah. Now you've seen four, right? You've I've seen, seen True Romance, written by he did the screenplay, Palm Fiction, which he wrote and directed. Yes. And now you've seen The Hateful Eight. And, yeah, you didn't like that one. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And yeah, this is I love I love this movie. I really love this movie. I don't know if I would watch it again, but I will never forget it. 
Yeah, it's incredible. I, I think you'd watch it again. I, I bet if this movie was on, you'd be like, oh, I love this movie. Yeah, I really, I think like, I really, although Patricia Arquette um, is kind of a goofy girl here, I just also, just to bring a more feminine touch to your podcast today, I loved all of her outfits and all of her uh very the girly aspect of it she was like the beauty queen mm-hmm. of the whole movie and she no, no other woman in the movie had um as bright clothing as her and as like blonde as hair as her or as a bubbly laugh or anything like she's just really a hit i just really liked her yeah, when it comes to her appearance, yeah, she definitely goes farther than anyone else uh, with her, you know, polka dot dress or her bright, shiny, awesome sunglasses or like the sunglasses she was wearing when she was on the phone call. I don't know. I, I just really like. It was really sunglasses. hot. She looked really hot. Yeah, Talking. So she had like these bright blue rimmed sunglasses and this like cute little top and and she had like pink lipstick on i mean she she was beautiful i thought i don't think that she's classically beautiful but i think in this movie um and also she's very southern like she every time she talked to uh clarence she would call him baby and she was very loving she had a lot of little nicknames for him yeah but she she was really loving and comforting and affectionate and was also such a fucking badass. Yeah, she's fantastic. At the, she owned this character. Yeah, I just I, loved it. I um, thought it was great. One of the characters I'll bring up is the... Uh, this is kind of why I brought up Joel Silver uh, subconsciously. The um, producer at the end who you know had done like the Vietnam movies they had brought up multiple times... Uh, that is a character kind of sort of based off of Joel Silver. Oh, really? He, he's buying all the coke. He's eccentric. Oh, I didn't pick on pick that up. Place. I, I, the actor, I, I have no idea who that actor's name is. I've seen him in plenty of things. He always does a good job. But that character actor, Sal Rudnick, <laughs> fucking love how much he owned that role. Yeah, he's he just good. like Clarence. When I have a deal too good to be true, I think it's shit. Why don't you come with me? Talk to me. Sell me. Why is this deal worth have? You know, worth making. Like just like his little bitty. He's just he's so Hollywood too. Yeah. Should we? While we're talking about some of the other characters, should we also mention a Brad Pitt and uh, who's that other guy? Uh, Phoebe's uh, cop boyfriend from Friends. What's his name? Phoebe's cop boyfriend. I know Samuel L. Jackson's in this. That's not who you're talking no, about. No, the the best friend. Oh, what is that guy's name? Michael something. Michael Rappaport. Yeah, uh, Michael Rappaport. Yeah. Rappaport. Yeah, Man, I like. He's been acting forever now. He has, but and but he's. I would say that like he has held true to that character, that like New York kind of mm-hmm. like character and um this was a different type of character you could tell he was a brand new actor probably hadn't had a lot of different parts and he was just kind of this young kid and i enjoyed that part of it too because i've always seen him in most movies he's like i don't give a fuck and he's like cussing a lot and he's a comedian too i think 
maybe he's maybe. not a comedian. I don't know. Comedian. I don't know. Yeah, but then um, who was the other one? I mean, oh, Brad Pitt's character was so stupid. It was so fun. Floyd. 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 <laughs> it was so fun to see um, Brad Pitt in a role before he was something bigger because yeah. he literally said hardly anything and was so dumb in this movie and it was really fun to watch yeah he was just a little bit character at this point he had been in Delma Louise he was kind of the good-looking guy that you'd stick in a movie he had a starring role in ice uh in cool world but that didn't quite work so you know he was just picking up roles but this is just like a year or two before you know you got interview with the vampire Legend of the Falls, and then the Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, you know, Twelve Monkeys. Which after that, and then Fight Club. Once he had Fight Club, it was it. But I will say, I want to say um, that character Floyd reminded me. So if you think back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was basically like that Brad Pitt's character, except when he was like a kid. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, right before he became a stuntman, he's just sitting on the couch getting stoned. The, the most hilarious part, one of the funniest scenes in this is when he's smoking on it, like with a shitty bong, by the way. I don't even know what it was, but he's getting high and all the gangsters come in and they're like, where's Clarence? And he's like, like coughing. He goes, holy shit, man. Because <laughs> you can tell at first he's like, is this real? And then and he's it- like, he left. He went to the blank blank hotel and... Yeah, he, he like tells him exactly where it is. Like he has this moment of where he's like, "Wait, you guys want to hit of this?" And they just like look at him, and he goes, "No." Okay, and then he like points and gets sober for a moment, points straight to the hotel. He's like, "You go over there. They're in this room." Yeah, <laughs> like sobers up and yeah. Hopefully, I like to think that they didn't kill him. That they thought he, he was wasn't so in that stupid. final scene though. He wasn't no, in the but, scene. No, but they don't. After he tells him the address, they just cut. Oh. It's a good cut, you know, just to get. Oh, keep I the doubt they going. killed him. Like he's so he's stupid. so stupid. Like he doesn't no. even like honestly, if he wasn't even in the movie, it wouldn't even matter. Yeah, I hope you're right though. I hope this has like a slight connection to Once Upon a Time in Mexico. In because Mexico, this, I mean, Once Upon, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's not the first time I've done that. Because <laughs> uh, this in movie Mexico. has a connection to Reservoir Dogs. Because one of, oh, was it Mr. White? I think actually was part of Drexler's like little group. Because he says, he's like, yeah, I work with an associate named Alabama. Oh. So yeah, there is a connection between this movie. And, and there's a reason for that. Because behind the scenes, <laughs> uh, you know, Tarantino was basically Floyd. Maybe with a little less weed. He was jumping from couch to couch. Are you sure he wasn't Michael Rappaport's character? Well, no, I'm pretty sure he's also Clarence. Oh, I'm sure he might be a little bit of all of them. Yeah, well, Clarence, you know, with the comic books. I uh, So I think Quentin Tarantino right now was jumping from couch to couch. He was working at a video store, and he wrote, like, three scripts in a row. And he's just like, I'm going to see what fucking happens. I don't know. You know, he's, he wrote Reservoir Dogs. He wrote uh, True Romance, and he wrote Natural Born Killers. And he sent all of them out. Uh, now, he somehow, I don't know how it worked out that he got the money, because first he did a short of Reservoir Dogs, and then he got the money, and he finished the film. 
And that hit, I think, 1992, maybe. And that was, you know, like everyone's like, holy shit. And then immediately the Scots, Tony Scott and Ridley Scott, bought his script, True, True Romance, and wanted him to direct it. And Tarantino didn't want to. No. Um, no, he said, it. yeah, you know, I, I don't think I can do this film. He's like, yeah, I wrote it, but I, I don't think I could just direct it. Uh, so I've actually read the script, True Romance. I, oh, okay. I fell in love with this movie when I was in high school. And we had an English class where we got a creative English class where we got to write or whatever. So we had to read something that we wanted to. It was like, read about it. So you got to choose your own. And I was like the weird kid who's like, I don't want to read a fucking book. Oh, I want, I weird read, kid. I want to read a, a script. And I want to read this script. Huh. And so, and that was a bitch to find in the late 90s. I wouldn't know. Uh, That's a re- pretty creative thing to do, though. I had to go into a, a movie. Uh, I don't know. It was like where you would chat with people, like a movie chat place. And I would ask everyone, does anyone have like the Like a chat up? room? Yeah, Online? but it was specifically, it was like a movie chat room. I, I don't uh, remember okay. quite what it was, but, you know, that's when I was going down the rabbit hole of, like, searching for this, going to libraries and stuff like that, making calls to bigger libraries in our area. Yes, kids, we'd actually talk to other humans. Uh, so I remember calling the St. Louis Library at the time and asking them, and you should have heard this woman's, she's like, what? And I'm like, I'm looking for a script. It's called True Romance. And she's like, I have dirty romance. I'm like, what kind of fucking library is this? So did this? you find this? Where did you end up finding this I found this it on it. Someone actually emailed me a link to go and read it. And it was on a PDF ah, form on my shitty ass computer at home. Wow. And this is what my dad got so pissed because I um, was trying to print it. And I hit the print button a couple times and it wouldn't. So <laughs> I left. I came back and he's like, there's like 500 pages. <laughs> and I printed out True Romance like, I don't know, seven, eight times. I'm like, whoa, my Yeah, bad. that's a lot of, and that's like the big print. Well, and it was funny too. spaces. So you see the, the title True Romance right there in red? On the top left of every page of it was a watermark. Oh. So every page wasn't just black and white. It was color. So I just like Whoa. destroyed the coloring. My dad would have <laughs> killed me. Well, my dad was pissed, but uh, luckily it's not like dad ever used the computer or printed anything at the right. time. So, but my mom was just like, well, that's going to cost us some money. <laughs> but yeah, I, I read that script and then uh, that's, I just had, because I, I knew who Quentin Tarantino was at the time, but this is like, when you actually read the script, and the script is crazy, it's all over the place. Uh, his first one, he did it non-linear. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so like the first of it is just like him going up to his friend. He's like, "Oh, you're not gonna believe the story I have to tell you," and then he tells the beginning story of it. But you also there's a uh, one part where you know it kind of like I don't know how they would have pulled this off in a movie because then it like goes out of it where his dad dies. So they're trying to like. There's part A and part B. Part A would be what's happening linearly, which would be him getting to his friend, his dad dying, and then him trying to make the drug dealer with the over-the-top producer. But then they fill it with all the backstory of him hmm. meeting Alabama, him killing the pimp, him, you know. So uh, basically what Tony Scott said was, I love your dialogue, I love this story, but we got to make it linear because 
uh, you know, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Well, um, I like what they what they did with it. Yeah, I so it was I. Great. And Tarantino even says he's like, "Yeah, Tony Scott took my movie and made it better." That's good. So, but we're forgetting to mention one part of the movie that we both thought was weird. Oh, the kiss. Yeah, the kiss. Because yeah. it is weird. It's creepy. So, do you want to describe it? You want me to describe I, I th- it? You can. So they are visiting his dad, Clarence's dad, and this is the first time Clarence has seen his dad in two years, and in three years, excuse me. And they, I don't remember a lot of the details because that's just not my um, strong suit. But I do remember they stay for a couple hours or a couple days. I don't know. What is dad's place? Yeah. Just a couple hours. A couple hours and Clarence says, this is my wife. And the dad's kind of like, oh, who knows? I'm not like not so sure and not so happy with the fact that his son brought his wife home, hasn't seen him in three years, blah, blah, blah. And then they leave. And as they're leaving, Alabama kisses Clarence's dad goodbye. But it's not like a short, you know, peck on the cheek and a handshake. It's like almost romantic. And it is so strange. And as soon as he backs away, she gets in the car and he licks his lips and he says, that tasted like peaches or kind of like peaches. Uh, yeah. So strange. Like, something like, God damn it. It did taste like peaches. He's I, right. Yeah. Something like that. But I wonder. Like his, his son said she's a. She's a peach. But I wonder if if there were some scenes that were cut from that to make mm, it. Because, like, it's so weird. I don't. Throughout the movie, there weren't other little weird things like that. She didn't go around kissing every single guy. Maybe they were just calling back to her, like, call girl days or something. They may have uh, calling back to the call girls. Uh, obviously calling back to, like, five minutes before when he said, ain't she a peach? Yeah, but God like, damn, that's she's not a, even like, a good what, ain't she a peach? She's a five alarm fire. I and, don't know. Then, that really Yeah, you me. might be right, though, because he says, you know, it's like, God damn, she does taste, that does taste like peaches, or she does, or something. I don't know. Yeah. But it, that reminds me of another scene that really tells the tale of Clifford and Clarence, which, yeah, the, his dad's name is Clifford. I, I, I don't know. know that. I was, but, um, so. <laughs> They're sitting there talking, and he finds out that Alabama is his wife, and he's just like, you know, I, I need this help and everything. And he goes, God damn it, just slow down. You're so much like your mother. I can't believe it. You come in here like a bulldozer. But then they he ends up, they cut away, and you know he tells him the story of him killing Drex, Drexler? Drexel? Drexel. Drexel. He tells the story of him killing Drexel, and then they cut back, and the train's coming by. And he's like, you used to be a cop. You, I, I need to know, are the cops, you know, on my trail? Do they know anything? I don't think they, but I don't think they are, but I don't want to think I want to know. And he's just like, what makes you think I would help you? And this was kind of one of Christian Slater's time to, it was a sh- small time to shine where he's just like, because goddamn it, when you were going through, we find out that he used to be an alcoholic. Alcoholic, drunk, whatever. Yeah. Wasn't around. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was a cop. He was, you know, working late. He was drinking. And he goes, God damn it, when you're going through your shit for two years, did I ever throw that back in your face? No, everyone else did. But I never said a damn thing. And, and then he's just like, and then he's like, the only reason you should help me is like, I never asked you for anything, but you can help me now. And God damn it, please do it. 
but if you don't, then I'll just get in my car and go away. And it says a lot about Clarence in a weird way that like he's so self-reliant, but he desperately needs help. This probably took a lot. He hadn't seen his dad in three years. This took a lot to go to him. And I personally relate to that because I have a really hard time asking my dad for help because I want to do everything on my own. And like it's a moment of weakness, but he knows he has to suck up his pride and go do this. Yeah. And it worked. And then his dad doesn't give the gangsters a damn thing. Nope. He insults them. He basically gives them a middle finger. They kill him. Sadly, he gave his dad, Clifford, the address of where he was going. <laughs> and then the, the one gangster goes, hey, boss, get ready to be happy. Because... Well, the address was on the refrigerator. Yeah, it's on the fridge. Yeah. He doesn't like... What annoys you in a lot of movies is they would usually point that out and be like, look, boss, you're going to be happy. I found his address on the refrigerator. He must have left it for his son. They don't do that shit in this movie. He just goes... They show it for a second. Well, they show it. They show it right after he gets killed. This movie has the faith that its audience is smart enough to figure it out. I don't know. They they basically, I thought it was just a witty callback because they kill the dad and then two seconds later they're like, oh, there it is on the fridge. It does the same thing with the drugs underneath the bed. When James Gandolfini yeah. like, is looking down, he goes, so, God damn it. Are you kidding me? You put the drugs underneath the bed. He's like, I'm so stupid for not looking there first. And he'd already like been halfway beat up, right? It's funny little things like that, but even when they cut away to him about to tell the story of he just killed the gangster, they cut from it. Like this movie does that several times. Where yeah. Like it is better to sometimes let have the faith that your audience is smart enough to figure this out. Like another point is, you know, we find out that the suitcase he goes to get of Alabama's from Drexel wasn't her stuff, but they also don't show that it was the coke at first. You figure it out because he came back with a suitcase full of stuff he thought was her clothes, but she opens it up and she goes, baby, this ain't my stuff. And then before you know it, he's trying to sell Coke. Right. We're smart enough to figure it out. Audiences aren't always stupid. That's and, true. And it, it, like, I really like this movie for having the faith that we can figure it out. That's probably why it didn't do so well in the box office because people really are dumb. But let's get into the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out into the film jungle like Indy and pull something back, good or bad, what's going in our museum. I'll let the guest go first. So I think what I would put in the museum is Drexel's glass eye. It's not a real glass eye. It's like a blurry glass eye in his gold caps. Yeah. You know, I know. He's spectacular, that makeup. I just I just thought he was... I really liked... I hated and loved that character. And I just, I just couldn't believe it was Gary Elvin. And I would like to just put those two things in the museum because I think he... That's an. I wish that that was an award-winning uh, 
acting job. Like I wish he would have won an award for just being a freaking like Muppet animal. Best cameo appearance yeah. in a 90s movie goes to <laughs> Gary Oldman as Drexel in True Romance. Yes. That's the, we can make our own awards. That's true. We can make him like. Maybe we can get we him can to make come. Fake Oscars, <gasps> fa- Foskers. What if we got him to come to our Halloween party? We could give him. An oh, okay. Let's go on Twitter and find the real Gary Oldman. Yeah, and see if he can relive that. Yeah, come character, Drexel, dude. Yeah, I don't know if he could do that anymore though. He's not that skinny or attractive. Yeah, he could just make up his own Drexel. What would Drexel look like now as a sixty-year-old man? That's really scary. <laughs> Gary Oldman doesn't even say yes to it. He just shows up at our address. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Awesome. Mine is, I just thought about this too, right when you were saying that. At the end, when Clarence gets shot in the eye, he gets shot in the same eye. Are they trying to say he has now become? Drexel? Well, like evil. But yes, yeah, like Drexel. Because that was uh, not in the original script. The original script, Clarence dies. But Tony Scott loved the character so much. He just, he just like, uh, he he called Quentin Tarantino for permission, and it's fine. I don't think so because Drexel was a pimp, and Clarence is not a pimp. Yeah, but he is now a murderer. He's a murderer, but he's also a dad and a husband. So cool. And did you notice that? I think I noticed this. uh, Tell me if I'm incorrect, but the at the the whole movie was narrated by. Clarence, and then at the end they switched perspectives. And yeah, it was, was her. That's it because was Alabama. In, in the real script, he's dead, and she's like, you know, telling what happened afterwards. Ah. she got away with the money, and she happened to be pregnant, and she went all the way to Mexico. Where got in it. Mexico? Where did they go? Cancun, and she went to Cancun. Named the kid Elvis after Clarence, you know, after Clarence's love for Elvis. Or she named it Clarence and said, you know, Clarence would have wanted to call him Elvis, whatever it was. So literally yeah. the only part that that um, Tony Scott changed was that they put a pirate cap over Clarence's <laughs> yeah. eye. Yeah. And because, well, then he got shot. Kept him alive. He got shot in the head through the eye. So mm, kind of a stretch that he lives, especially because you knew they would have to run. They wouldn't be stopping in a hospital to get. Well, I mean, the whole thing's surgery, a stretch. But... I mean, she got beat to a pulp and still managed to not lose a single tooth and like survive that. Yeah, she. Like she's like a <laughs> she... tiny, a tiny girl. She got thrown <laughs> against a wall yeah, and she beat. kills James James Gandolfini with. What a toilet seat cover, or what is it? The top of the toilet. I was actually and then burned his ass with uh with hairspray. I was actually thinking to myself when I saw that scene, like if anybody ever robs my house, I would have never thought to pull up the top of the toilet. But now I have a weapon. It's a blunt porcelain object. Yeah. Oh man, and I was like, that is so smart. Yeah, she beat the shit out of him and caught, oh, yeah. and then burnt his ass to death, and then continued. Oh no, she shot him with the shotgun too. Yeah, she Man, was. She, she really. She messed him up. She was a sweet, 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 sweet B I T C H. Speaking of cursing, 
How many times do you think they said fucking this? Oh, gosh, I guess I didn't even notice because I was too preoccupied with some other words that they were saying. Yeah, they say the N-word quite a bit. And yeah. that, that's something that uh, Quentin Tarantino used to get insulted from. And one of his one of the things he said about it is like someone asked him, like, why do you use the N-word so much in your movies? He goes, I don't use it. My characters do. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it because it sounds like something... I would say <laughs> fucking asshole. Yeah, <laughs> I it. guess. Honestly, I don't think I even thought about the F word that much. I, I didn't even. It probably was like so about the characters that it didn't even. Come on, just ballpark. 20. Oh, 212. Are you sure? That's what I read today oh, on wow. the intro nets. Yeah, I didn't notice the F word being used that much. I mean, I can call my librarian in St. Louis and see if it's accurate. <laughs> She's still alive. What? That was the 90s, babe. Fuck. What'd you say to me, Quentin Tino? Who was that? I found your script. Damn it. (laughs) It's over 15 years ago. Well, I got it. You want it? Uh, Yeah, my part in the museum is going to be the incredibly uncomfortable and amazing monologue by Dennis Hopper. Go watch that scene. Um, That's incredible. I I just love, love those two. Man, I wish... Dennis Hopper and Christian uh, and Christopher Walken could have been in more movies together. Oh, they haven't been. I, I don't think so. I don't know. Christopher Walken, he always is good, almost in every movie he's in, and on Saturday Night Live when he was yeah he's hysterical going to Saturday Night Live a lot. And what a dancer! Yep, always got some good moves. That will end it for the first week in Tarantober. Next week we will be doing another. Uh, script or story by Quentin Tarantino. I'll let you figure it out because actually that could be any of them because everyone he directed, he also wrote, I think. So, all right, we'll come back next week with that. Uh, if you're in the area and you want to come to our Halloween party, come as a Tarantino character, win a prize. October 26th. Oh, well, yeah, that's important. The day. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> For the details. The details. October 26th, Chicago, Illinois. You can catch us on iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, Facebook, whatever. You know how the internet works and all that good stuff. And come back next week. Remember to be kind. And rewind.